I uh, had endeavored, set out to, and I will return to, teach ghost stories this summer. And I uh, had two or three of them kind of in my back pocket. And then about Wednesday, the Lord began to speak to me. And I actually think I have a prophetic word this morning that fits this moment and this season. So you bear with me. I'll take a bit of a, of a turn, right? And uh, then I'll get back on ghost stories next week. But if you got a Bible, go to Mark's Gospel, the 14th chapter. It's a great story. I think a lot of you know it. It's told in all four of the Gospels. That doesn't happen very often. It's told in all four Gospels, John 12, Luke 17, and Matthew 26. And here in Mark's Gospel, the 14th chapter, reading in the third verse. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, say the leper. So once you know he's in a former leper's house. As he sat at the table... A woman, say a woman, hmm. we, we got two strikes right here. You're in the house of a leper and a rabbi is not supposed to be in the house of a leper. And you're at a table with a lady. You're not supposed to be with a woman. So we got two strikes. Having come with an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. Wow. Wow. Father, I pray this morning that we would capture the insight into this story. I pray this morning we wouldn't miss what it is that you're trying to teach us. I ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, this is the feast before Passover. Tomorrow night, we're going to have Passover, but tonight, we're having kind of a private gathering. We're having kind of, it's like the who's who, and there's three million Jews in Jerusalem getting ready to celebrate Passover tomorrow, but tonight, out in Bethany, we got this special little thing going on in Simon the leper's house. Now, it's my opinion that he's no longer leprous, but even though you've been healed, it's unlawful for a good rabbi to be in the house of a former sinner, I mean, leper. And, and so there's 360 million Jews, and we're having this little private gathering in this private house, and, and the priests have already decided they're going to kill Jesus, but they've decided to postpone it until after Passover for fear that something would happen to them. And here's Jesus in this house, just with high, high ritual. I mean, we're getting ready. Jesus is going to kick the Romans out. So we're expecting to win in the next day or two. And there's this party going on, and we're sitting in this house of a leper and a woman, Mary. Mary comes in the room. And there, there's three, if not four, stories of how a woman anointed Jesus. And I realize you Bible scholars out there, you PhD students, are, are just going to rip me apart because we, you want to want to figure out which Mary this was. Well, I, you choose. I don't really care. Mary, say Mary. There was a Mary there, and she may have been the sister of Lazarus, or she may have been the lady that was thrown in the dust when they wanted to stone her, and Jesus said, forgive her, and you remember that, he who is without sin, throw the first stone, and no one threw a stone. It may have been that Mary, or it may have been another Mary, 
or it may have been Bill, I'm sorry, it may have been, but Mary comes into the room and she's there to show her appreciation. She's there to say thank you. She's there to break into the ritualism and the tradition of the moment and, and break into the formality of that evening, into the privacy that was going on. And a woman comes into the room of a leper's house that has the who's who, a, a, a woman. Like there was a woman in the garden. Like Mary, the mother, a woman with a womb. And now here's a woman who's going to anoint him. It's like women are everywhere in his life. Oh, well. But there's talk. She's, she, what kind of woman is it? Is it, is it? There's murmurings about her motive. There's murmurings about a romance. But here's the odd thing is she doesn't pay attention to any of them. She doesn't seem to care. She's not there to win their approval. She's not there to be accepted. She's not there because she cares what anybody else is doing, whether anybody else is watching. And Jesus said what she does is going to be told for her forever. Forever. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about what she did. But, but I love the four-year-old. Have you ever been around a four-year-old? Why? Why? I mean, I mean, come on, have you ever really been around a four-year-old? Well, why? And you answer that question, and they got another, why? Well, well, why? I remember the first time I was ever around a four-year-old for very long. It was my nephew, and I was trying to paint the house outside. Annie was on the inside. I finally came down the ladder, took the four-year-old by the hand, took him in the house, and said, here. <laughs> you, why? Why? We learn by asking why, right? Why? Why? We learn by asking why. The problem is, is we still have a lot of four-year-old Christians. Why was this oil wasted? I get this all the, all the time. Why do you people stand and sing? Why do you sing so long? Why do you sing it over and over again? Why do you clap? Why do you jump? What a waste of time. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you take communion? Why would you do this? Why would you do that? It's such a way. Well, let me just be real honest with you. Maybe I have experienced something that you haven't. Maybe I have firsthand experience of Jesus and not just a bunch of head knowledge. Maybe I was dead, but now I'm alive. Maybe I was lost, but now I'm found. Maybe I know I am a sinner. Maybe I know I'm weak. Maybe I know I need help. And the one that helped me happens to be in the room. And I need to express. See, I've seen you at your children's ball games. I've watched you in your second piece of pepperoni pizza. I've, I've watched you worship something that you valued. And yet, you want to know why? I get loud. It's just simply because I know. I've experienced. I've had an encounter with this man before. She comes into that room because she had encountered him before. I don't know whether it was because her brother was resurrected. I don't know because it was she was laying in the dust. I don't know which one it was. But this I know. She knew him in a way that they didn't. Maybe, just maybe, that the basis of real worship is having an encounter with the God that you're worshiping. 
Maybe real worship is so radical and spontaneous because it feels like a dying man in need of a drink, like a deer panting after water, that I'm so thirsty to be in his presence that really, I just got to take a moment and... Oh, he's charismatic. Baloney! That's your excuse for remaining unemotional. That's your excuse for caring what others will think if you happen to show the depth of the love that you have. That's baloney. See, real love must be ventilated. Real love is expressed. If you don't believe me, don't kiss her this year. She gave. She came into that room with the most expensive things she owned. She came into that room with a bottle that had to be broken in order to experience what was on the inside. It didn't have a presto cap. It didn't have a ketchup cap. The only way to get out what was in it was to break it. I mean, it was... You had to give it all. You couldn't hold anything back. Once you broke it, it was worthless. Once you used it, it was done. It was... And yet, if the master is there, it doesn't matter what it costs. If the master is there, what you think about me doesn't matter. If the one who I encountered previously is there... then my expression to his presence is my worship. You see, worship is not a genre of music, contrary to what Apple tells you. Worship is not a genre. It's not like country or rock and roll or the 70s. It's the best music. Never mind. No, 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 no. Worship is not a genre. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship's not a grouping of songs. Worship is my response to the knowing that he loves me. Worship is my response to the knowing he chose me and adopted me. Worship is the way I live in response to him. It's not a genre of music. If you understand that he's valuable, then you give worth to that. And the reason I value him is because he first valued me. He came into my life and all of a sudden I recognize that I'm valuable. That I matter. Not because I perform like a monkey on a string, but because he just loves me for no real reason, quite frankly. Sometimes in spite of... In fact, it's an undeserved value. I mean, when this thing is over with, it's worth about 98 cents. And someone's going to pay thousands of dollars to do something with it. What a waste of money. Oh, you'll get that in a minute. Well, pastor, do you think we ought to do this to it, this one? Who cares? Because unlike Humpty Dumpty, God will put this thing back together again. And it will be better than it was before. And can I tell you, if he has captured the hairs of my head, he's going to know where to get the particles of this body. 
knock yourself out. He said I was valuable. Irregardless of what you said, he said. She brought in that room the most expensive, everything she had, and she abandoned herself to him. See, it's hard for people to abandon. You could feel it. We were singing a moment ago, and you could feel it. You wanted to go, yeah, but you could feel it. He's waiting again. He's singing at that course again. He's doing this again. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to control. That's the whole point, is to push you. I feel pushed good. And she broke it. She broke it. He took the bread and he broke it. He took his life and he broke it. He held nothing back, Bruce. He broke himself for us. My only response is to be broken back. My only response is to take everything this is and just throw it at his feet. Because everything this is, he made. This, oh, it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate to let your hair down in a hostile environment. It's controversial to worship. I mean, to think that you want me to be that open in public, are you kidding but undistracted, she anoints his head and in one place his feet. She recognizes his authority and she recognizes his victory. And John says that when she broke it, the fragrance of the perfume filled the room. You see, your worship can change the actual atmosphere of the environment that you're in. If you don't believe me, just try going to McDonald's and going, thank you, Jesus. If you want to be social distanced, just step into Walmart and go, hallelujah. Six feet, they'll go 20. You don't need a mask. All you need to do is praise God. They'll back off. See. I think Mary was like the Apostle Peter. I think she saw something that others didn't. I think the Apostle Peter went, Thou art the Christ, this boy from Nazareth, this child of Bethlehem. Flesh and blood didn't tell him he was the Christ, but my Father, which is in heaven. Mary just knew this was the Messiah. The one that had come to reunite her with the Father. She had revelation knowledge. She wasn't going on her physical senses. She wasn't going off of someone taught her. She understood somehow she had insight into the fact that he's going to die. And this might be my last chance to say thank you. This might be the last chance you have to use the breath of your body to say Thank you. June the 21st of 2020, what if this is the last opportunity? What if they send us into shutdown again and this is the last chance we have to praise God? What will we do with this moment determines every moment of our lives. Mm. And unlike the Miriam of old, she decided to worship in advance. Miriam old waited till they got on the other side of the sea to worship. But Mary of new decides to worship in advance. 
Sometimes you're supposed to worship in advance of the victory. Sometimes you're supposed to worship whether or not you know the outcome or not. Sometimes you worship without just because you might have its prophetic, well, I think maybe, so I think I'll just shout in advance. That's Mary. And she worshiped his in abundance, and the Judases never can handle it. The Judases cannot handle it when there's this sacrificial thing going on. They can't handle it. Because see, the sacrifice of everything that seeks to secure itself in the systems and the culture of this moment will keep you from experiencing the presence of God. Abel, it was an animal's blood. Abraham, it was circumcision. Ah. For Israel, it was a Passover lamb. For David, it was an exuberant dance. For the Pentecostals, it's like a shout. But worship always has this bite to it. It has this... I am convinced today that the real epidemic in America is ingratitude. I am convinced today that we are living in the midst of the most ungrateful people that have ever inhabited the planet called Earth. I am convinced today that bitterness and discontentment has ruled our culture. And we are ungrateful for the life that God has given us. 127,000 people have died and we are flippant. Listen to me. We live in this entitlement idea that we deserve everything. We raise children who think they're entitled to everything. Our sin is ingratitude and it's epidemic. And only when we recognize someone who is so grateful that they break everything they have are we confronted by our. When you get around somebody who is so grateful that they will break everything they've got to show their gratitude. Real worship draws attention to those who are ungrateful. Because they did not give thanks, he gave them over to a debased mind. Because of ingratitude, the roots of bitterness and the roots of sin, the roots of depression, the roots of disease. Everybody wants to know, why is this event taking place? Why would she do this? Because she was grateful. I don't know whether she's grateful because her brother was resurrected or because they didn't throw a rock. I don't know why, but I know that she's so grateful that she's moved to this action of expressing her gratitude. Because gratitude that does not involve giving is not gratitude. Gratitude that doesn't take a bite out of your life is not gratitude. But gratitude that makes you want to give everything you've got back to the one that's been graceful to you. Listen, Jesus has given me the body I live in. Jesus has given me the breath that I leave. He's given me 61, almost 62 years. He's given me fathers. He's given me mothers. He's given me friends. He's given me today. And without Jesus, I would not even know life. To think that we spend 20 minutes singing a song and it makes people uncomfortable wants me to go, well, you haven't met the Jesus that I know. 
Yes, heaven is in my future, but can I tell you, life is in my present. I'm alive. And as long as there is life in this thing and the breath that's in this thing, I have to say thank you. I can't allow the tradition or the protocols or or the prejudices of this moment to cause me to stifle this opportunity that I have with this morning with the Christ to say thank you. I have to. And Oh, well. And see, gratitude in a human way is, well, thank God it rained, or thank God it didn't rain, or thank God the tire didn't go flat, or thank God I got a raise. Or thank... See, as a human, we are grateful when things go well. But as a spiritual being, Paul says, we give thanks in all circumstances. We even give thanks when things don't go well. Because we know he takes the things that don't go well and turns around and works them for the good of us, even in spite of the fact that it's not well. So we give thanks for all of it. I promise you, everything that's happening, even when the enemy thinks he's needling you, God will turn it around. So just give thanks in everything with prayer and supplication. Just, just the Christian idea of gratitude is, for by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. You see, grace is the foundation of my gratitude. I have a gratitude that's induced by his grace, his unmerited favor. He raised my brother. They didn't throw a stone. I don't know whichever thing it was that introduced you to the fact that God graces your life, not because of what you performed, but because he loves you. And when you know that grace, it overflows with a gratitude that makes you break everything else in your life. And suddenly the room and the atmosphere changes because you're showing your gratitude for his grace. And the way you show it is you give. That's why stingy people need to be saved. Oh, you didn't get it. See, living a lifestyle of thanksgiving, she she recognizes it. She acknowledges it. She expresses it. No wonder the psalmist says, make a joyful shout to the Lord. All ye lands. No wonder he said, serve the Lord with gladness. Listen, I I met a lot of people. I wouldn't serve the Lord because they were so sad. Serve the Lord with gladness. I gladly get up and serve the Lord. It is not... Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. That he is the one who made us and not we ourselves. That we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And be thankful to him and bless his holy name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures forever. Somewhere this woman had read Psalm 100 and knew that if you were in the presence of God, it had to be filled with this worship. Why? Why? Because I know that I'm forgiven. I'll just be real frank with you, almost after 40 years of ministry, 62 years of living, because I'm forgiven. Because I've tried to get over those things I've done. I've tried to forget those things I didn't do. And can I tell you, every day of my life, I wake up and go, oh, I did or I didn't. It's one of the two. 
I mean, it just really is. He who says he has no sin is a liar. I get up every day and realize I did or I didn't do something I should or shouldn't have done. Oh, wretched man have I. And every day, guess what? I met with the face of a father who is smiling me, whose mercy is fresh. And I go, <gasps> why are you so passionate, Pastor? Because I am forgiven. There is no deeper theology. And my soul knows he's forgiven. So your opinion of Quentin matters so little. Not that I don't love you and don't hope that you would like me, but can I tell you that, that as I've grown in my faith, it's just some, if, if I... It, you mean you're going to shout about that again? Yes. Moreover, Paul writes in Romans 5, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Listen, the law was given so that you'd know you were a sinner. The law was given so that you could go. Did you know every law will reveal that you can't keep it? In fact, even if you think you can keep it, Jesus said, well, but you don't want to. So, right? Oh, come on. All of you do your taxes and you come right. See, the law comes to reveal the fact that you're a sinner. You'll never keep, earn, obey. But where sin abounds, have you noticed that sin just keeps abounding? Sin's not going out of business. Sin has a great business. It's, it's profitable that you sin. If you keep sinning, people make money. Sin is abounding. But Paul says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So the more there is sin, the more there is grace. There's an abounding grace. And if gratitude is the results of grace and there's an abounding grace, could I ask you a question? Is your gratitude abounding like the abounding grace that you're receiving? I'm not seeing a lot of an abounding gratitude in response to the abounding grace. God keeps giving you an abounding grace. Is there an abounding thanksgiving? I just want to know. If there's an abounding thanksgiving, you push your way in the room, you bake the jar, and you change the room because you've got to show a gratitude that matches the grace that he's given to you. Why do I get loud? Because i got to tell somebody his grace just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. And i got to find a way to show it. Boy, Pentecostals yell. No, people that have grace yell. People that know they're forgiven can't stay quiet about it. Did you know that you did something yesterday? I know. But his grace covers it. What? And I have people all the time, but yeah, but if you keep preaching that, people will go out and they'll just keep sinning and they don't think there's any consequences. They were sinning before I started preaching. They didn't need my preaching to go sin. It wasn't my preaching that made them sin. I can tell you there's a lot of other things that made them sin. I ain't got time to worry about that. Here's... The Bible says, if you'll risk preaching the gospel in its purest form, in the long run, it will work. The minute you add law to this message, you have robbed it of its purity. We got to run the risk. 
of preaching an abounding grace. Yeah, but what about? Well, you can't control people. <laughs> I can't, never mind. Mm. Why? Why? The Bible says that God loves a cheerful you know, if you keep reading that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, do you know that when you give, not only does it meet the need of the people to whom you give it, but their gratitude at the gift that you gave increases the gratitude or the thanksgiving given to God. So that when you give a gift out of the gratitude for the grace you've been given, that actually sows a seed in that life so they begin to be grateful. So the more you give, the more thanksgiving and gratefulness goes to God because God actually is the one giving the gift through you. You're not really the one giving the gift because the only thing you can give is that which you've already received. So when you give what you've received, it actually causes more gratitude to go to God. So praise increases every time you keep giving to others. Oh my God. Don't ask me to say that again. So if you don't break your jar and pour it out on other people, then you're actually robbing God from getting more praise from. What did he say? So when we look at the lady that stepped in the upper room, we see a lady who, in response to the grace that she has received, worships in a way that the culture around her goes, what? And she's in the house of a leper. <laughs> the lessons from the lady, abounding, abounding gratitude over in the house of a leper. <laughs> Remember the story of the ten lepers who cried out for God, for Christ, to heal them? You remember? Story of ten lepers. And you know, they have to stay downwind of everybody. That's what the law said. They had to live out in the country alone. They couldn't go to their families. They were outcasts, nobodies, forgotten. And so they... They come close to the Lord from here to that wall, and they start shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. And he does. And as they turn to go show their priest that they were clean of the leprosy, they, they, they were ecstatic, right? But one out of ten came back and said, thank you. And the Bible says that Jesus said, Where, where's everybody else? And he goes, I, I don't know. And Jesus turned around and he said, Where, where's everybody else? Just this foreigner, this Samaritan has come back to say thank you? One out of ten. About 10% 10 of people that I know come back and say thank you. About 10%. Not necessarily because they're bad people. It's just it's not high on their list to write a thank you note. It's just not high on their list. But boy, it's high on the list of the Lord to come back and write a thank you note. Just to respond. Say thanks. It, come on, have you ever given a gift and not got a thanks and you just kind of went, huh? Just, it's interesting because that one who came back and said thanks, the Bible says he was completely restored. Completely. 
Meaning that if you've never been around lepers, I have. Leprosy will eat fingers and they'll fall off. Toes, ears, nose. So you can be healed of leprosy, but you're still missing stuff. But this one went back and said, thank you. And what he was missing was restored. Hear me. You can get saved and still be missing stuff. You can be on your way to heaven and still be missing stuff. And the key is thanksgiving. The key is being grateful. The key is saying, oh, thank you, God, that you stopped the leprosy. Thank you that you forgave me. And if you live a lifestyle of saying thank you, pieces of your life, holes in your life will begin to be filled in. Parts, those areas where you were abused, those areas where you experienced pain, rejection, God will begin to fill them in. Yeah. She said, thanks. Why? He came back and said, thanks. Why do we as the believers of God come back together and collectively go, thank you? It's because we're forgiven and it's because each one of us need to be restored. Are you listening to me? I worship because, number one, I'm forgiven. Number two, it's just wise to be a giver. Because when you lay stuff up in heaven, it doesn't get... So I'm a giver. Number two, number three, it's my witness. It's my witness. You see, when... When you break that jar and you pour it over him, the aroma of it fills the room. Hmm. 2,000 years later, when you tell the story of this lady, you can still smell the aroma of her worship. You feel it. She walked down the street. Is that Christ or is that that lady? Just walk in the room. Is that, is that Jesus or is that just... See, when we worship together, something happens. Christ is here. Come on, you, you've walked, you go to work with him, right? And you can just... It's either death or it's life. You can smell it. I mean, if you've ever smelled death, it never goes away. She was acquainted with death. Her brother was dead. She knew that stench. But when she got in the presence of the Christ, she knew that life. Till the day that they buried her, you could smell the anointing on her life. What do they smell when you walk in? We're living in a culture that doesn't need our opinion. 
We're living in a culture that doesn't need us to weigh in. We're living in a culture that needs to sense that we are grateful people. I'm grateful to call every one of you my friend. I'm grateful to know each and every one of you. I think you're valuable. I think you matter. I have no problem in taking what I have and breaking it and pouring over Anita's life because when I do it, I do it to him. It blesses her and she's grateful and she'll go pour it and break it over other people's lives. I've spent 34 years in this community just trying to break over one or two at a time. When it's Russell and Linda, it's Russell and Linda. Don and Carol, it's Don and Carol. When it's Grandpa, it's Grandpa. It's Grandma, it's Grandpa. You just break yourself and pour it out whomever you have at that moment, whoever's in the room. The aroma of this community just... It's pretty simple. Why? Because I'm forgiven. Didn't even take a Bible degree to get it. took hearing the sound thud I was guilty they could have thrown that rock thud can you hear those things thud thud if I ever get a chance I'm going to worship the one that caused them to drop those stones if I ever get a chance Why do I shout? Why do I sing? Because I still hear the echoes, Rebecca, of the stone dropping. I'm forgiven. He who is without sin, go ahead. We can change the atmosphere of America. life to a brother forgiving me for dying that I might live just right there where you're at could you just go ahead that's worship thank you Jesus for what you've done for what you continue to do and thus we pray together our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come. 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the body and blood. You are the God that saves. You are the one that rescues me. You rescue me. And oh, you are the God that saves. And you call me from the grave.